Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. I first caught up with Hassan Minaj in 2012 on the set of the MTV show he was hosting called Philosophy. Hassan has succeeded on a global scale since then, literally hosting a PBS documentary called Stand Up Planet and becoming a correspondent for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, now The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. I caught up with him at the Cherry Lane Theater where he's mounting his first one-man show, Homecoming King. What will people think? Let's find out. Let's get to it. Hassan, thank you so much for for sitting down with me after doing two shows tonight. What's up, Sean? As if we weren't talking five minutes before. Well, we've yeah. been talking for years. Actually, we have. Wasn't it weird we saw each other at the cellar last night? Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, it's, it's weird to think about sitting down with you uh, after taping Philosophy. Yeah. And, oh, wow. And to see how far you've come just in a few short years. I know. That was very nice of you. That was a bad show. <laughs> Uh, I was talking to somebody else who said uh, uh, Brooke Van Poppelen uh, did an episode with me and yeah. and was uh, her recollection is it could have been at midnight. It yeah. could have been at it midnight. It could have been at midnight, yeah. But it but it it wasn't. Yeah. Uh the last time we talked though was at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival yeah. in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Uh when Stand Up Planet was just about to come out. Right. You went to India for that. Have you been to India since. Yeah, I go back. I, I went one more time. My grandmother was getting very sick, mm-hmm. um, and I went back one more time to go see my grandmother again, and that was good. And we, we had a really nice conversation. Has that been since you got married in The Daily Show? Or? Yeah, I went back, obviously, pre before the wedding happened. Like, like I said in the show, where I was like picking up jewelry and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and then we're coming back again this, this winter. What is it What is it like to go... Wh- you talk a little bit about it in the show, but yeah. what's it what's it really like? Because when you did Stand a Planet, you were there with a film crew, so yeah, it's a yeah, whole yeah. different feeling. What's it like with, to go there? With, with my now? family, it's basically you're just like when it's just family, you're basically emotionally guilted into seeing everybody. So you mm-hmm. just got to go pay homage to like your grandmother, your grandfather, all those. Go, go see your cousins and stuff like that. That's a big thing. And then my me and my wife are gonna go, so we'll we'll pop off for a little bit and do some vacation stuff. But um, we're gonna go see my grandmother on my mom's side. She's getting old too, and we're gonna go see my gra- her grandmother, who I haven't met, obviously because we just got married. So we're gonna go do both of those things. Am I are my levels okay? No, you're fine. Okay, I I'm I'm just thinking because now that you're on the Daily Show, which is such a property, global property that every country is doing their own Daily yes, Show. Yeah, is there is there a new recognition for you when you go when you go? Yeah, that's visit? that's pretty wild. What's crazy is that they have these really big comedians that are really starting to blow up there. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I, I'm friends with these guys like Tanmay Butt and um, Rohan Joshi, these guys that are huge. And I'll tell them, I'll tell my cousins about them and they're like, Oh no, no, no. They're, you know, they're like underground comics. And then if you just, just let's put underground in perspective. I think Tanmay has 550,000 Twitter followers. And I was like, that's by no mean, <laughs> like if you had a half a million Twitter followers and like a million Facebook fans, mm-hmm. by no means would you be considered a small act in the States or London or whatever. But what's, what's amazing is because India is such a huge country that is divided by so many different languages. It's united by one Hindi, but different styles of comedy can exist because of that, which is really, really interesting. Um, but the daily show, it's crazy how I didn't realize that it's such a tent pole around the world. I didn't know that. 
I just didn't fully realize it until like now stuff I'll see stuff on Twitter and people will be like I saw your segment and yeah. all that stuff yeah you you talk in the in the show about about auditioning for the Daily Show and getting hired yeah what, so I won't make you rehash that here sure sure but what was your first actual day on yeah. the show like my first when day shut up for work yeah my first day at the show. I went into the writers' meeting. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Maybe it was just a New York thing. I'm from California. I went in and I went to that or that nine that nine a.m. writers' meeting, and you see so many guys with black rimmed glasses. I just got so intimidated. And now I know those guys. I'm like, oh, that's Matt Coff. Like, you, you know Matt Coff. Like, I was just like, but I, I I went there and I was just like, oh no, like no, I'm not smart enough. Mm-hmm. It's like all glasses and beards. I was just like, this is not. And it was all it was very you know Ivy League educated, very smart, intelligent people. And that nine a.m. meeting. I the mistake I made is I tried to come in with like all the jokes and it's like no we're we actually those 9 a.m. meetings are basically philosophical debates like it's like this is the story we'll see a sot which is like a clip from the news mm-hmm. and then John would just break it down and I, I was just like in awe I didn't know when to jump in and I, I jumped in with like a few stupid jokes and I shouldn't <laughs> have but I don't know and uh I know your first thing on the air wasn't a field piece. It was no, a it was, it was a, a chat studio chat. Yeah, it was a chat with, with Jordan, Jordan Klepper about um about gestation crates, <laughs> pig gestation crates, and how Governor Chris Christie didn't ban them. <laughs> but you know, Jewish Yoda hires you. Yes, and then announces he's leaving, and then one of the worst that, days of my life. And that final, <laughs> I was terrified, man. I was but that, so scared. That final night with John. All, everybody came back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what did it feel like for you to be to be part of this part of this universe? That was unreal, man. That was one of the coolest nights of my life. I just, me and Trevor were standing there, mm-hmm. and I felt so nervous. I didn't want to ask people for pictures, and Trevor was like, "Go ask for pictures." And this is what I love. Where like me, me and Trevor, it's like he's a contemporary. John's like comedy dad. Right. Trevor, you know me, Trevor, Jordan, Jess. They're like my contemporary. That's my class. And so he's like, go ask for a photo. You might not ever get a chance to ask them again. I saw Colbert. And Colbert was a huge, to me, we're all, his fingerprints as correspondents, right. we're all doing just an iteration of what Stephen did. And so I'm walking through the hallway, and this is who's in the hallway. This is, this is the hallway we go through every day. Stephen Colbert, Ed Helms, Steve Carell, and... um. Steve Ed Helms and John Oliver like are like talking, mm-hmm. basically like the OGs. <laughs> um, not Oliver, sorry, Cordry. So it's like the guys that like that first right. ensemble cast. And um, I'm walking past. I, I know, like I'm I'm almost playing it like a mafia movie, like a Bronx Tale, where I'm like, hey, the the, the made men are talking. Don't just 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 give them the sandwiches mm-hmm. and leave. I'm walking past them, and Stephen stops me, and he grabs me, and he grabs me by like the collar right here, like the collar on my suit. He goes, hey man, I've seen your work. I've seen your field pieces. They're really funny. Like an idiot. I, s- I never know what to say at the right time. And what I said was, was I, I was like, oh, man, Stephen, you know when I got the job? Asif Manvi said, if at best, I'll just be a diet version of you, which was, Mon- which Mon- which was Manvi's version of like being like uh, us being humble to the right. right one. Like, hey, at best, we'll just be doing an iteration of you that's good. A, a clone of a clone. Yeah, of a clone. yeah. And he was like, no, man. He's like, what you're doing is really interesting and unique, and you've brought your thing to it. And he's still holding my collar. He's <laughs> like, keep it up. And I was like, dude, it, I, 
I was like smiling ear to ear. And so, and then afterwards I was like, can I, can I just take a selfie with you? Mm-hmm. Like, can I just take a photo right now? I took a photo with him and, and it's on Instagram and I'm like, I'm like grinning like this. I'm like, <laughs> I look like an idiot. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's so rare to have that much talent in one space together. Yeah. And it's a celebration. It's a, it's a happy time. It's a sad time, but it's just full of emotion and yeah. And you, and you get to be a part of that. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I was like, I, um, I told John one day, I was like, thank you for letting me par- be part of the 98 bulls. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like this legendary team, you know, insert whatever sports team that you're right. a fan of. That was just a dynasty team. I got to just be there that year, but to watch him work. Cause he, he had a lot of things that he wanted to get off his chest and a lot of things that he wanted to talk about. He really went in, you know, and that was really awesome. Well, how does that, how does that moments like that match up with, with the actual dreams you had as a kid in Davis, California? I never thought that it was possible. The moment that actually changed my life more than anything before seeing Chris Rock's Never Scared, which is why I got into comedy, Mm -hmm. was actually seeing the poster for Harold and Kumar go to White Castle outside of Holiday Cinema. Um, Because, and I know I mentioned in this this show, but it's like with the prompting, I was like, I never, we're not in movies. And I I saw, it's just a profile shot of his his nose up Mm -hmm. and his like crazy hair or whatever. And I saw him in, John Cho anchoring a big budget Hollywood movie. And before that, basically it was all passenger 57 or monkey brains on Indiana Jones. And they were just these humanized, really funny characters and they were anchoring a comic that changed my life that I was like, Oh, it's possible. So before that, what, what did you, what did you think was possible for you before that? Um, I just, I wanted to. I wanted to play in the NBA. That's <laughs> it. And I, and I got cut every year. I was just a big fan of basketball and stuff. And I would just do. Th- I was just into sports and into. Mm-hmm. I was into comedy. I was into that stuff. And I remember being like, I'm, I think I'm funny and I'd like to do it. I did speech and debate and stuff like that. Okay. But I just didn't think I could do. I just didn't think it could happen. Russell Peters hadn't blown that. His his YouTube special blew up in 2005, November 2005. And I'm Harold and Kumar was 2004. 2004. Yeah. So. Yeah. That so you're it. you're like basketball and then you got cut. So basketball was out. It was out. And I was like I'm just going to go to school and like maybe I'll do I was like like I'm really into s- speaking. I thought I'd be maybe a public defender or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I'd get to speak in front of people and construct arguments. Okay. But I didn't think I could I could do this cuz again it's just like it's not going to pan out. It's um I I just felt like the Hollywood medium and the American narrative is a very white and black narrative. There's not a lot of and I wasn't familiar with John Leguizamo and those people just yet. Mhm. And then once I started doing comedy, I started seeing all these different people doing really interesting stuff. Mike Birbiglia, Liguizamo, Quinn, Spalding Gray. I got exposed to like, oh, comedy it ca- can be stand-up and it can also be these other things. Uh, you talk in this show about about being sheltered and, and your parents wanting to protect you. Yeah. Uh, but, but they didn't try to pigeonhole you into uh, into a stereotypical med school or law school path well or did when i was in college basically the rules were just like kind of prom i would sneak out to mm-hmm. go do that i would sneak out to do good, go do comedy okay so i drive to san francisco where were you in college i, w- I went to uc davis which okay was about so dude, I, was, I was a loser man <laughs> for, i mean for b- basically between zero and 22 mm-hmm. i mean my life was really pathetic okay think about it i went i grew up in davis i went to davis yeah. hi, davis high i went to uc davis i lived at home not a lot going on for me. Right, because you can't go to UC Davis and Stay live in, in Davis dorm. and then go in the dorms. That's yeah. 
Yeah. Because then your parents are just going to drop by. I know. But well, I, I lived there my freshman year. I got this little scholarship, so they, they paid for it. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, my parents were like, you're coming back home. And I, I went back home. And But that whole time, what I actually found is that that home base, I would have that home base and I'd sneak out to go do stand-up. And the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco has this great system where on Sundays you wait in the back. Mm-hmm. And you wait to go up. And it's kind of, that's where I got to see Kamau Bell, Al Madrigal, Brent Weinbach, Moshe Kasher, Ali Wong, Louis Katz. I got to, um, Jacob Siroff, Sherry Siroff. I got to see all these comedians become really great in front of my own eyes. Shang Wang, Mo Mandel. And then I w- it really inspired. Arch Barker was just a- about to leave to go to Australia. All those guys are like phenomenal. Yeah. Think about all that talent. And I was just waiting for like baby basically four or five, four years back there, just trying to be as funny as them. And then once they left to LA, then I, c- I got a lot of stage time and a lot of spots. Like could move up, move up in the system. Move up in the system. But I still think I still think that was like one of the, the best things that happened to me. I don't know if I would have made it had I started in LA, honestly. How did you the punchline was the first place you went to? Punchline. And how did you decide the punchline? Because there's a lot of clubs in the Bay yeah, Area. Yeah, I Googled so I go to a buddy's place mm-hmm. in and he because the dorms we had such fast internet connection, he downloaded all these comedy specials. So I saw Chris Rock's Never Scared that came out in 04. And um, I was like, Oh man, this is incredible. So I go on Google, I was like, How to be a comedian? And it says go to a local comedy club, call your local comedy club, say that you want to perform. I called a local comedy club. I wasn't even familiar with Chappelle. So I Googled a co- local comedy club mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, I see that Dave Chappelle is performing this weekend. <laughs> it was like so embarrassing. I was like, can I open for Dave Chappelle? And and they were like, what, is this a joke? Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, I'm being serious. They're like, no, no, no. No, is this a joke? And season one had just come out. Oh, four. Remember, it's like, oh, three, right. it came out. Oh, four has like season one. Um, so he was still like touring and doing like the cl- Chapali show. Is yeah. Was, was just the Chapali show was just becoming a social, <laughs> like a like a critical acclaimed thing. Maybe maybe like, you know, yeah, it just started. River. So they were like, no, you got to come every Sunday and come to an open mic and, and, and or come every Sunday. And we'll have that. We have the showcase system mm-hmm. where you wait X amount of weeks and then you'll go up. And that's what I started doing. OK. Yeah. And so you must have had jobs. Yeah. At that point, what were you doing for work? Uh, I worked at Office Max. I was selling printers. And then after that, um, after I graduated college, I moved to um, I moved to the Bay Area and I got a job in tech. Palo Alto, mm-hmm. obviously all, all of Silicon Valley's there. So I just went and it was so embarrassing, man. I, I remember sitting there in my job, in this cubicle job, and I was doing basically customer support for a social networking platform called Ning. I had a headset, oh, dang, yeah. yeah, and I'm typing, and I was like, wait a second, I'm an Indian <laughs> kid doing tech support in Palo Alto. It was the saddest, just the saddest moment of my life, and I remember my boss would see that I would do, it's crazy that you remember Ning, that's so funny, my boss would see Some how- Some comedians use that for a brief period as a- There was a thing? Yeah. Really? Just a well, few. Just a few? It wasn't yeah. like- okay. I'm not going to- No, 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 don't out them, don't out them. <laughs> so, um, my boss- was like, you seem like you don't want to be here. Is there somewhere you want to be? And this is those nights. Uh, do you remember? Like, this is like 06, 07. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. No, 2008, 2009. So, so Chappelle mm-hmm. would come do those long stints in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember, he would just come and he would Unannounced do and just do like a week. A week at the punchline. Yeah, yeah. A week. It was a Tuesday. And it's like 8 o'clock, I'm still at work answering. Because the internet never sleeps. Everybody always has problems. Answering emails. Is there somewhere else you want to be? It's like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly where I want to be. 
I want to be watching Dave. To this day, man, he's still one of my favorites to watch. I was telling Trevor this. I was like, dude, he's one of the few comedians where I can't see the strings. Right. He is, like, he is the Jay-Z I ne- comedy. Where I never like, see where it's coming from. No. And I'm just like, oh, okay. It's, it's incredible. And so I was like, I want to be there. So that's what you're striving for. When did things change for you? What was the moment where you're like, oh, maybe I don't need this Ning job. Maybe yeah. I can, maybe I can make comedy a full. I won this thing called Wild 94.9 Comedy Jam. Okay. Basically, Jeff Wills, you know, the head, who's the head of Live Nation, Lightning. he runs this thing called the Comedy Jam, which mm-hmm. is at the Shoreline Amphitheater. Huge thing. This is 2008. It's a huge deal. Basically, they have this local competition where the local comic will win a spot to open five minutes at the Comedy Jam. And it's always big names. It's a big name. So that year was Cat Williams, Gabriel Iglesias. Huge mega acts. Yeah. I think Russell, big acts, man. Yeah. It, they it's it it it's stadium comedy. This is pre oddball, so it's you know what I mean. It's right. it's a huge thing, and so um, they had a local competition where all the comics went up ahead, went up against each other, and I won. Like I, I somehow beat out guys that I that at the time that I really felt were really strong. I remember Mo Mandel was a beast, and I I somehow beat out everybody. And I, got, I won the spot. It was a competition. And um, I got to open that. And that was the moment where in the local scene, everybody's like, no, he's funny. He's good. You know, he's, he's good. I, I wasn't very good. It legitimized year. you. Yeah, I wasn't very good the first few years. <laughs> I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I wasn't. And so, yeah, that was the moment. And so when did you, when did you, was that the? I got fired from Ning. So what was your, what was, was that your last job? Three weeks after I booked the comedy jam thing. Mm-hmm. Three weeks after that, my boss came up to me and called me in. This was this was my my pink slip moment. Mm-hmm. They called me in. I had to sign a thing. She's like, you know, we're gonna have to let you go. We think you're very, you know, a talent. We think mm-hmm. you're a funny, talented person, and you're gonna do good things in your life. And I remember I had a panic attack because I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay rent because you only make fifty bucks a spot. Comedy club pli- prices as a host is still like where it was in 1982 right, or whatever. Like $50, still yeah. 50 bucks for host, 100 bucks for feature, and then headliner makes whatever. Yeah. It's not enough to like pay rent. So I was like, I had a panic attack at home. I remember calling my dad. I was like, Dad, I I think, I don't know. Like I feel like my, my heart is like, I feel like I'm, I don't know what's going on. And uh, he's just like, calm down. I think you're having a panic attack. And then a buddy of mine, Sammy Obeyed, okay, was yeah. like, hey, I, I do tutoring at this place called Learning Bee. Just come in and... um you can tutor kids, like teach them algebra, teach them stuff like that, and you'll ma- you'll you can, you'll, ma- you'll make enough. Plus, you're hosting, mm-hmm. you'll make enough at clubs. So there's nine clubs in the comedy c- in the Bay Area. I was doing like six out of those nine, plus the tutoring. I was doing okay. I was scraping by, um, and then I won this thing. I made it as a finalist in NBC Stand Up for Diversity. Okay, and that got me to LA, and then I start. I moved to LA, and yeah, and things. left the Learning Bee, and yeah, yeah, left Learning Bee, and then things started taking. Was off, the so. Pizza Hut commercial was that your first screen credit? No, my first screen credit was Chelsea Lately. Oh. I did Roundtable on Chelsea Lately. Okay. I did it once, and I, she never invited <laughs> me back. But it was cool. It was a good experience. It still counts as a credit. It's a huge deal. Yeah, and having a credit. Having a credit was big. Oh. It was a big deal to me at the time. Yeah. Uh, still is. When was the last time you actually had to worry about what what will people think? I mean, that's a big theme in the show. Yeah. I mean, I... I still think about it, but yeah. I try to over I try to overcome it because everybody that I really respect in comedy, man, when I watch them, man, they're free. They're up there, and it's like they're the bird. They're not the cage. 
Yeah. What's what's the best advice you've received to kind of help you overcome that both on stage and in life? John said, probably said two things. He said, fail on your own terms. And this was in reference to like when he even he talks about like his MTV days, the da- the days when he I think he had a deal with like was it Paramount or Miramax? He had the he was like he had a movie career too. And he was just like, just fail on your own terms. Don't let the industry tell you what you need to do and just fail on your own terms. Um, you'll never regret that. And then the second one was, he said, move towards your discomfort. Whatever choice feels like just making you uncomfortable a little bit because you're scared, do that one. And this show, mm-hmm. massively uncomfortable. Because Com- I, I think about so many comics that are probably, I would think about, I hit it for years because I was like, mm-hmm. Com- comics are going to see this show if I do this show and think it's corny think it's lame it's like emotional it's like think I'm corny right it's about your life it's not about your comedy career it's about yeah and it's just like stories from your life yeah and I was just afraid people are going to be like wah wah look at like you're doing what, storytelling mm-hmm. you know comedy has a, especially New York comedy has this grit has yeah come it, come downstairs and do 10 minutes and bang it out and then Paul Provenza says something to me that kind of changed changed my life too I was doing run runs of it in New York, um, LA mm-hmm. getting it getting it right and Paul Provenzo was like man just know that this is really great comedy in the sense that stand up comedy in a club with like drinks and all that stuff you can play notes A through M but he's like if you have a solo show and people come to theaters to watch it visuals diagrams longer form things you can play notes A through M and N through Z so he's like you're actually liberated and able to explore way more things than what you can just through a microphone in a comedy club. I could never do the stuff with the Twitter stuff and all. I could never really execute that the way I can right. with this stage in a comedy club. What and it all started with a story at the Moth, right? Started with the story at the Moth at the Riot Comedy Festival in LA. And M- the Moth Story Slam came there and Abby Launder invited me to go do the Story Slam there. And what that was in what and what motivated you to tell that story? The the the, 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 the st- it was called heartbreak. The theme was heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You have to tell a heartbreak story. It was five minutes. I told I lost miserably because the story is longer than five minutes. But I was like, what was the biggest heartbreak in my life with the girls? Probably that was probably it. And I was still working through a lot of the feelings. So the when I told it, it actually ended with the doorstep scene where I was just like, yeah, I felt like they were right and um, they probably were. It was it was really dark. Yeah. It was really like, and good night, see ya. <laughs> and people were just like, what the <laughs> hell? And Catherine Burns from The Moth, even though I lost the competition, mm-hmm. was like, that's really powerful. You, first of all, explore some of the things that you're dealing with personally, right. self hate, all these things. But then also, like, I think a lot of people have gone through something like that where they felt like an other at the doorstep. Everybody has at some point. It's not just you, my little brown boy or whatever, <laughs> whatever. But she was like, you should explore that. I met up with Greg Wallach through Baron Vaughn, my mm-hmm. director. Greg Wallach's my director, and he was like, let's start working on the stories. And he st- we started working on different chunks from my life. As I'm working on these personal stories, stand-up planet happens, I start exploring all of these, like, just really personal things in my life, and this started. How fulfilling is it for you to to see it get to this point where you're doing it off-Broadway, and you're, you've developed it into a full yeah. hour-plus with multimedia? Yeah. Um, that's been one of the coolest things is seeing the people's the groundswell of support. That's been cool. Like I was told before, like, hey, it's a slow build and you know, audiences grow slowly and reviews and then this and that and what's basically happened is word of mouth and just people have 
attached themselves in some capacity to the narrative and found a connection to it. And the guy who did our, for example, our artwork, Sam Spratt, who did all that beautiful artwork, the new Rockwell. I, I was working on a version of it, and during one of the sentences, I talk about this thing called New Brown America, and he does this style of painting called New American Rockwell, and he's like, I want to do the art design for your show, stuff like that. I mean, and he does the art design for Janelle Monet, Childish Gambino. He does movie posters. For him to just be like, I want to do this with you was incredible. So we created an art series called New Brown America, and it's stuff, it's like Rockwellian vignettes like this that are inspired by original Rockwell paintings, but it puts protagonists of color in them as the main focuses of the paintings. And he took vignettes from the show to do that. And is that on exhibit somewhere? Yeah, we, we have, there's so it's in the lobby okay. and then we're going to be, we're also going to be bringing it to like schools and stuff oh, like that, nice. which will be really cool. So now that you're in a place where you're on television and you're doing a, a run of a theatrical production. Sure. You're at a point in your life and your career where, where younger, or even not younger, but people who aren't in the game will come up to you and ask you for advice. Right. What's What's the first thing you generally tell a newbie? Um, I would just say, I don't know, like, um, it just depends. Can you give me, like, can you throw a couple questions that a new comic might ask? Because it depends from scenario to scenario. I'll give you an example. Okay. Like, um, a young, like a, a younger South Asian comic came up to me and was like, "Do you have any advice for me?" And the advice I gave him is like, "Put share your narrative, because they're not going to write it for you." That was what I told him specifically, where I was like, "Look, like, all we can do is you got to build it yourself, and they will come." And I I would actually say that to anybody. I think you've done that too. It's like anybody that I like look up to, really has built their own island, built their own thing, and. Even John, he took The Daily Show and made it his own thing. He built the arc, and then everybody came aboard it. And I've seen what Birbiglia has done and Colin has done. Like, was, uh, so many people that have inspired me really just, they're almost like comedy pirates. They're like, I <laughs> adhere to my own rules. I'm making my own thing. Yeah, no one I, I certainly feel like a pirate sometimes. Yeah. Dude, what are we doing? What is this? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what this This is like a whole, I, I don't know what this is. I just decided to do it, and I did it. It wasn't like a thing that was masterminded yeah, or whatever. I got a recorder for Christmas and then yeah. went to the music store and bought these microphones. And, and now we're podcasting. Yeah, and now yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing, I guess. I yeah. mean, I could have waited for NPR to come calling. Sure, sure, right, right. But they might not have known and, to call. And they might not have known to call because they're like, what number is it? Yeah. Because it doesn't <laughs> exist yet. You get what I'm saying. Right, you have to make your own thing. Yeah, and so yeah. I was just like, what? and again, just whatever you're most passionate about that you're like, Man, I just want to share this with people. It generally tends to be the stuff that guess for clicks for whatever reason well Hassan thank you so much for sharing your passion with me now and on stage with everyone who can come see you thanks man I really appreciate it appreciate it this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios the music by Camille Harris and Shockwave logo by Giggle Chick Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.